All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach the good word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favourable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to the sound to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look to teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject, reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. Good morning to our service today, and I'd like to extend my welcome to you. Um, if you're new here, if you've never watched or listened into our services before, it's great to have you um, listening in with us. Um, and yeah, special welcome to our YF service today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far and liked what you've seen and maybe got a new insight of what we do at YF. Um, and it's going to be uh, now time just to look at the Bible um, and continue along with this word theme where we centralise God's word and view it. Um, the way it should be viewed. So if you, I'm going to come to the Lord now in prayer and um, let's pray. Father, for the words that we are about to hear from your Bible, I pray that you bless us with them. I pray, Lord, from the words that I speak, you um, help us understand them, Lord. And we thank you for your word and its trueness and its, and its centrality in our lives. Um, help us love it each day more and more. We pray this in your name. Amen. I wonder if anyone here has heard of Pep Guardiola. Now Pep Guardiola is a world-renowned football manager. Some regard him as, as one of the best managers of all time. Um, he has managed some of the best teams in the modern era. Barcelona, Bayern Munich and most recently Manchester City. He's renowned for bringing a unique style of play into these teams to make them unpredictable and, in many cases, unstoppable. When he left the first team he managed, Barcelona, who were famous for their particular style of play, they played with a high tempo, fast passing, and he left with a heartfelt 12-minute emotional speech. And in this speech, one of the lines from it in Spanish, it will be in English today, but he says, Even though I am leaving, my philosophy is still here. Fans keep supporting Barcelona and players keep playing the Barcelona way. He urged the team to continue playing the way he taught them, the way that brought them so much success. And I think here in our passage today in Second Timothy, we see something similar. 
a similar final charge from Paul to Timothy to continue in the ways he has shown through his own example. It's clear here that Paul is certain that his time has almost come with the language used in verses 6 and 7 which we will look at more closely later. However, even though Paul won't be around anymore, he's still adamant on making sure that Timothy will stay faithful and fulfil his ministry. Remember, Paul is in prison. He has suffered for the sake of the gospel for years now and has been persecuted, beaten and imprisoned for his gospel efforts. He's writing this letter likely a year or so or even a few months away from his execution by the Romans. It's a very personal letter from Paul, who is Timothy's father in the faith, and he encourages Timothy to endure for the gospel, even in the face of strong opposition, who falsely teach and lead the flock astray. Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus at this point. Timothy is struggling and looking to go through, looking to be going through some sort of a wobble. Opposition to his ministry are strong and suffering for the gospel is becoming a real reality for him. He encourages and instructs Timothy all the way throughout this letter. And here in chapter 4 is, is the final section, a final charge to his fellow gospel counterpart. I've broken the passage up into two sections. Let's get on to the first. So verses 1 to 5. If you're writing any notes today, the heading is preach the word. Preach the word. Verses 1 to 5. I'll read them again quickly. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul places this charge to Timothy in a serious tone in verse 1. He says, like we've just read, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, this is a pretty packed statement, isn't it? Why does Paul mention all of this? Why does he feel the need to say these things after... He says, I charge you at the beginning of the verse. And I think he said these things to strongly remind Timothy what, uh, that what he is saying is not an ideology that Paul himself has conjured up out of Midia and used for his own example, but it is a God-given instruction. If Timothy should ignore or underestimate the seriousness of the work he has been called to do, Paul quickly reminds him that the same Lord Jesus who called him to proclaim and teach his word is the same Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. This is a very important calling. Paul is simply reiterating that he should not do this simply to follow his own example, 
but to fulfill his calling, that he was chosen by God, the ultimate judge of the world. God being the judge is also another vital thing for Timothy to remember, as it is not only those he's ministering to that will have to give an account on the day of his appearing, but it will also be him, Timothy, who will have to give an account for those who were entrusted into his care. With this statement in verse 1, it makes the following verse bear so much more weight. So what is this charge? What is it that Paul is so desperately telling his fellow brother to do? Look with me in verse 2 and see it in its utmost importance and simplicity. Preach the word. Preach the word. That is what Timothy is to do. We read at the start in the previous chapter, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. Paul says, Timothy, preach and proclaim this very thing that is so vital and useful for you and your work. I don't know about you listening today, but I love the sheer plainness of this charge. He's not to do any fancy tricks. Not to please his hearers with new doctrine or eloquent speech and rhetoric. But he's simply to preach the word. Friends, what an encouragement that is to us as people who believe in word ministry and its power. It's so easy to be tempted away from this charge when we don't see instant fruit and rapid growth in our church. To lose faith in the transformative power of the gospel and resort to other things that will draw people in and look spectacular compared to God's word being preached. It's easy to be discouraged when the faithful preaching of the Bible week in and week out is looking so ineffective and dull. When our YF doesn't have 50 teenagers every Sunday night. When our church services aren't filled with people from the community. Yet Timothy is to preach and proclaim the word, nothing else. Let this be an encouragement and a challenge for us today. To stay faithful to God's word and to proclaim it boldly, even when it does not look attractive at all. Also, Paul doesn't just say preach this word when it's convenient to him or when it suits Timothy best. But the second half of verse 2 reads, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Just like the marvel, versatile vegetable that is the potato that is available in every season, all year round, Timothy should act likewise, preaching and teaching the word, always, whether he feels like it or not. The same is true for us, friends. There is no closed season on God's word. We must proclaim it constantly, consistently and incessantly. He is also to preach the word how it's designed to be used in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 16, which we've just read, to reprove, rebuke, teach and correct. Now this is key to the context here. Why does Paul mention similar things here in this verse that he's just spoken of at the end of chapter 3? 
it's important to remember the situation in Ephesus at the time of writing is severe. There's false teachers, wolves that are attacking the flock with myths and fallacies that are leading some of the believers away that, that's found previous, uh, in previous chapters of this letter. The situation that is there already and the situations that are to come that we'll read of in the next few verses means that these particular aspects of Timothy's preaching ministry will be of the utmost importance for the protection of the church. Paul takes the time to remind Timothy to include correcting and rebuking in his ministry because these are the things that he would most likely shy away from. It's uncomfortable to correct and rebuke others. It would not make Timothy popular or liked. In fact, it would make him the very opposite. However, Bible gives him both the authority and the means of carrying out these key elements in his ministry. How is Timothy to do this? With strife, anger and quarrelling? No, with complete patience and teaching. This is again consistent to Paul's instruction throughout his letter to Timothy in being self-controlled, patient and loving in his teaching. Now Paul does not issue these instructions for no reason at all, just to fill up some parchment paper. He recognises the urgency of Timothy's task and knows there will be difficult times ahead. Read with me verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Even though Timothy is instructed to preach the word faithfully, it doesn't mean the response will always be positive. Paul's life alone should be testament to that. Here he is writing to Timothy from a prison cell, abandoned by his friends. Yet Timothy must stick to his task and must be prepared for the rejection. The time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching. The teaching of Christ who died a gruesome death before he rose from the grave and who calls his followers to walk in his way is not a popular one. It's not naturally appealing to the human heart. And newsflash, people don't like to be told of their own sin and their own need of repentance. So Timothy should expect the time when it comes when people will no longer put up with the message and people will resort to false teachers who proclaim a so-called gospel that will suit their passions and desires. Just like those in chapter 2 verse 18. Um, which reads, Who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Even as Timothy preaches the truth, they will turn their ears away and wander off into myths. Now when these times come, what is Timothy to do? Is he to hide away? To conform to their ways? Absolutely not. He is to be the diamond in the rough, to stand out from the crowd and preach the word in and out 
off season. Again, for us friends, let's pray for Graham and our other ministry leaders to be bold and stand up against false teaching and to continue and preach, to te teach and preach the truth. Let's also be vigilant as church members to be alert when things are taught and seem alien to the ministry model of Paul's. But not only is he to do this, Paul then focuses on his character, which has been a prominent theme throughout this whole letter. He calls him to adopt and emulate certain behaviours and attitudes that will certainly enable him to maintain a faithful ministry through the hardships that certainly lie before him. Verse 5 reads, as for you, as for you Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfil your ministry. This is a staple of Paul in his writing to Timothy. He calls him to be boldly counter-cultural. Many times he will state what the false teachers do and what their character is like. Then he follows it up with how Timothy should teach and what his character should look like. Chapter 2 verse 1, an example. You then, my child, when addressing Timothy. He does the same a few times in chapter 3. You, however... And in verse 14, but as for you, and he does the same again here. He is to be sober-minded, or in Scottish, he's to keep the heed. He is to be unmoved in his commitment to the truth and be committed to the hard work of continuously proclaiming it. Even when difficult false teachers arise, proclaiming a false message. Timothy is to continue in the true gospel. This, of course, will in time make life very difficult for Timothy, just as it did for Paul. So there is no surprise why Tim Paul calls Timothy to endure hardships in this verse. There will be a constant temptation for Timothy to give it all up, to avoid confrontation and difficulty, to take the easy way out. But he must follow Paul's example of endurance that we read of in more detail in the final verses of this section. And he also urges Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Not only is Timothy to focus on shepherding and protecting the flock with teaching and sound doctrine, but he is also, but he is also to invest himself in the spreading of the good news as a personal evangelist. Another reminder for our pastor and for preachers in general and teachers in the church. They cannot neglect their calling to share the good news to the lost, as well as feeding and nourishing the flock. Both are important. And the last piece of general instruction Paul gives in this verse is to fulfil your ministry. What could this mean? Timothy must simply keep going. He must not give up. He must finish the job God has given him to do, even if he is opposed by it, even if all his friends abandon him, even if he sees little fruit, he must carry on. Now this is heavy stuff. This seems almost unreasonable, doesn't it? How does anyone have the right to tell someone to sacrifice so much? Well, as we read now, 
Paul has more than a right to do so because he has done exactly that. Which brings me to my second and final point. So we've had preach the word in the first five verses. Now we have stay faithful. Stay faithful. Verses six to eight. Read with me. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, at the start, we briefly touched on how Paul often calls Timothy to be countercultural by writing, but as for you, in contrast to others. He has just instructed Timothy to do things which will undoubtedly bring him discomfort and hardships. But he can do this. He can instruct Timothy about these things because he has done this very thing himself. Verse 8 starts, for I, for I. We see Paul has done this very model of ministry that he is now urging Timothy to follow. Paul begins this section by saying, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Now when I first read this, I was a bit confused. So what what, what is a drink offering? What, what does he mean by this? Well, a drink offering in the Bible is a common Old Testament practice, which an offering of wine or oil is poured out as a main uh, um, is poured out as a main offering or as an accompaniment to another offering or sacrifice. An Old Testament example of this is found in uh, Numbers, which is an Old Testament book um, at the near the beginning of the Bible in chapter fifteen, and it's when Moses is given the laws of on sacrifice to Israel, and it reads this: "And you shall offer with the burnt offering, or for the sacrifice." A quarter of a hen of wine for the drink offering for each lamb. In this context, the drink offering is an accompanying the animal sacrifice. I think Paul uses this language here to show that as he offers his life up for the sake of the gospel, that complements that complements the definitive sacrifice of Jesus. By no means is he comparing his sacrifice to Jesus's in terms of what is achieved. Christ's work is complete. But through Paul's self-sacrifice, the effect of his work is spread as the gospel goes out across the world. And as I said at the start, this language Paul uses here in verse 6, And the time for my departure has come. It shows that Paul is expecting death. In the near future. But the fact that Paul is going to die soon makes verses 1 to 5, our first point that we've gone through, an urgent charge. It's not something that can just go by the wayside. It's something that has to be adhered and listened to. Paul and the other apostles are not going to be around forever. The future of gospel ministry now lies on the shoulders of young leaders like Timothy. And in verse 7, in classic Paul fashion, he uses athletic imagery to illustrate his point of him faithfully 
living out a sacrificial gospel ministry. I have fought the good fight, it reads. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This imagery reminds us of the toil and hardships that are involved in Paul's ministry model. Like a marathon runner at the end of a race, tired and sore, but satisfied by running such a distance. Paul is content and he's satisfied because he has remained faithful and he has stood up to false teaching. He suffered for the sake of Jesus. He is finishing the race and fighting and running until the end. He can justly claim that he has finished the race and it is to this exact faithfulness he now calls Timothy. But was it all in vain? Why did Paul suffer so much? And why was this lunatic okay with it happening to him? Seems bizarre. What is the reward? What is the prize for such sacrificial living? Read with me in verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Now sticking with his athletic imagery, the crown here alludes to the wreath um, that um, athletic winners would, would be awarded um, in ancient athletic victory. What is the reward for all his suffering and pain? And hardships? A crown of righteousness. A final confirmation of the righteousness he has already received. I think he is referring to the final righteous state of believers that will be given to him on that day as Jesus returns to judge and rescue his people. But friends, the end of this verse is such good news. This crown is not just for Paul. The final part of this verse reads, And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All true believers who set their hearts not of the things of this world and let their loves be dominated by fleeting worldly pleasures, but to those who set their hearts on Jesus and his appearing, his promised return, and look forward to that day. And that is why Timothy can have this model of ministry. And it is why it is all worth it. Friends, the same is true to us. Be encouraged. If we repent of our sin and live sacrificial lives in response to Jesus and his work on the cross, who took the penalty for our sin and died and rose from the grave, we will have this crown that Paul speaks so highly of. Sunday school teachers, this crown is for you. YF leaders, this crown is for you. Christian friend, this crown is for you. A crown far greater than anything this world can offer. A crown worth dying for. What better encouragement can we as strugglers get? With our struggles, with our flaws, with our faults, with our pain and our hardships in these past years. 
We are promised a crown of righteousness for staying faithful to the one who has saved us. Can I encourage you today, friends? Have faith in God's word, even when it looks, it doesn't look flashy. It doesn't look impressive. That is the best tool we have in our own ministries. Be thankful for its teaching each week. Let's continue to pray for our church leaders, our deacons, our pastor, our ministry leaders to stand up to any false teaching that may creep in and to stay faithful to God's word. And let's strive together to look forward and look toward the crown we are promised for our faith and endurance in Christ. Amen. Now friends, as we close our service, if there is any questions that arise from today's service, if you want to find more out about YF and the things that we do, um, please get in touch with us. Um, there's an email address, rev at ladywellbaptistchurch, all one word, dot org, dot uk. That's rev, R-E-V, at ladywellbaptistchurch, dot org, dot uk. Now can I encourage you with these words from God's Bible. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To our only God, Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.